Salofa and welcome to the Samoan Scientist Podcast. I am so excited today because we have our first Indigenous Scientist Kahu painting. Thank you Kahu for being here. Um, I know you had to say this is actually the earliest that I've been up in a long time. <laughs> so thank you for giving me up today and thank you for being here and having a chat. For our viewers and our listeners and your future fans, could you just give a little introduction about yourself? Sure. Kia ora mai rano tata katoa. Heuri pakeike mai Ngāpui, mai Ngāti Raukawa, Ngāti Wharetoa, Ngāti Kahungunu, Ngāti Rongo. Ko tēkau rātai painti toku ingoa, he kai āwhina, he kai rangahau a hau no te Wharewānanga o Tamaki Makaurau. So kia ora everyone. My name's tēkau rātai. I'm from mainly Ngāpui up north, but a bit of everywhere in the North Island, and I work at the University of Auckland as a learning advisor and doing some research around maramataka. Kia ora. So, why science? How did you get into science? Well, when I went to school, I was in bilingual education, so I started off at Kohanga, and I was planning to go to a Pākehā school afterwards, and my Kohanga teacher said it would be a waste of my reo, my like, my ability in the Māori language to send me to that. So then we ended up going to a bilingual unit with me and my brother. And from there, I always was quite... Um, we didn't start learning English until we were about nine, so kind of a bit slower in English, so I was always quite good at maths because that didn't change from teaching in English right. and teaching in Māori. So when you're home, you're talking Māori as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, and then doing science, like the concepts didn't change as much mm. either. So like maths and science were kind of the two subjects that had the easiest transfer between learning them in Māori and learning them in English, as opposed to like learning poetry, English language, True. creative writing was just like completely different. True. Oh. So then I was always good at maths, always kind of into science. Um, then I was at high school in, in year 11 and we were doing weird stuff in biology like how to and how not to kill possums was the last <laughs> thing I remember doing. And my science teacher was a bit of a, uh, not the best science teacher, and pretty much recommended that I don't pursue science in year 12. Wow. And then, but I had two science teachers in year 11, which was split between two, and the other one, like, um, pulled me aside when he was looking at my enrolments for next year, and was like, oh, you're not doing any science. It's like, oh, yeah, nah, not really into it. It's like, well, I don't know how you're doing in the other sciences, but what I'm going to do is put physics in as an option. And if you want to continue next year after you've had a think and you get your grades back, then I'll be your teacher. So then I did physics wow. in year 12, really liked physics, it was my favourite subject. Then picked up chemistry in year 13, as after not doing in year 12, then came into university um, majoring in biomedical science. Going back to your, um, was it your physics teacher? Then? Yeah. yeah. So why do you think they kind of took you aside? Because not all teachers would do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was quite special. Yeah, it yeah. was pretty much the man. Um, shout out to Mr. Kuma. Yeah, um, shout out. But yeah, he, I guess one of the things he did really, really well was he just started off each lesson with just this random as um, demonstration. And then it was just like exploring your curiosity. And I was like half the time wrong, but like to just like, is it this? Is it no? What about that? And then no. And just like really mm. curious and engaged. Not because I was like trying to be 
amazing at the subject or anything just because like I wanted to know the answer and like I knew that if no one said anything he'd just wait longer so if you just chucked out some ideas you'll find out sooner wow and so you felt comfortable just to say anything and just yeah, be, yeah. and you're really curious about it so mm. yeah so he must be saw that and you thought oh, yeah, science. Science. Yeah. <laughs> science kid. yeah, so then after that, I kind of jumped around um, a few subjects, jumped into med school, didn't like that, jumped back into um, maths and physics, decided to finish off biomedical science, and then you couldn't double major in biomedical science, so after that I came back and did a graduate diploma in applied mathematics, and mm. then was lucky enough to kind of put that in to get all together with my mouldiness to do a, um, a research topic on maramataka. Wow. Yeah. So going back to your university, but you're saying that you started off with biomedical science and then you went to maths, is that right? I went to med school. Sorry, med school. Yeah, so talk about, can you just talk about that first initial coming to university and why you did med and then kind of thought, nah, that's not for me and decided to yeah. do something else? It was really interesting, like that start bit of mm. um, being at university because like at high school I was kind of, even though I wasn't amazing, I was kind of known as someone who knew answers, not yeah. all of them, but enough to um, contribute. And then coming into university, like half the class in that class were um, straight A pluses, ducks from this mm. school, private this. Mm. And they, they consistently kind of questioned your answers and didn't like trust you to know what you're talking about. Because you yeah. looked different? Or yeah, well my name was Takaurata and I sat at the back of the class because that's where all my friends sat. <laughs> and instead of going to the live lectures, we sat in the like projected lectures at the back. And then just, you know, not white, kind of brown, kind of joking at the back. They just assume that you're not doing as well as they are. And wow. they, they kind of like undermine your ability to do the subject. But like... In the subject where I sat at the backest of the classes is the one they got the highest mark. <laughs> wow. There you go, guys. Sit at the back of the class. <laughs> no, don't sit at the back of the class. Not even sitting at the back as well. Wow. And so, yeah. yeah. So from there, going into med school, that that kind of, if it was like pretty intense in first year in med school, is like a even even stronger degree of that kind of scepticism about your ability to do things and that whole mentality around um, Māori and Pacifica students going into med school, how they, you know, were just, had the stigma attached to them mm. because of different admission schemes and all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of, I was good at it, but became like disillusioned with like the fact that these are the types of people that you would have to stick around with for the next 10 years of your right. career. Yeah. And I didn't enjoy being there as much as I enjoyed first year, so I kind of just swapped back to a Bachelor of Science. Wow. And so making that switch, I guess, is not easy because mm. people think, oh, you're going to be a doctor, and then you say, no, I'm not going to do that. So how did you make that decision? Um, yeah, it was pretty... I think at the end of it, it was just about what was going to bring me the most like joy and enjoyment wow. in what I was doing. Like, I could see conversations with doctors and consultants no one recommends doing med school really <laughs> I mean, no. like talking to a doctor wow. they're like yeah come be a doctor but then when they're like at the top they're just like you know i encourage my children to just pursue their, wow. <laughs> their dreams as opposed to just going into um med school like i did 
So then, yeah. Because so like, I feel that's the opposite when you come from high school. It's like, yeah, oh, go, go, I want to be, I'm going to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah, it's one of those noble professions, right? That's Where right. Where it's just kind of like, yeah, once you do this, you will be the epitome of something, something. But it was interesting, like, looking around um, med school in a class of, like, 200, we had about 30 Maldon Pacifica students in our year, which isn't amazing, but still pretty solid. Yeah. The numbers are much higher now. But when you looked at um, applied mathematics, pure mathematics, biomedical science, physics, there'd be like one every couple of years wow. as opposed to like a strong cohort. So even though that was a more noble profession, this was a less walked pathway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think I really admire that you changed from your biomedical degree to pursue happiness because I think... Um, like at a young age for me I didn't really know what I wanted or Mm. have the courage to do that so I think that's really valuable and admirable that you've done that so that's cool and so can you tell us a bit about what you're doing now where you are now yeah so because of my background in biomedical science and applied mathematics Mm. what um, when I was working in the biology department Mike Walker came up to me because he was doing some uh, he was doing research around like indigenous knowledge, particularly mm-hmm. around Maramataka, which is like the lunar planting and fishing calendar. And he was like, oh, you're doing maths? And I was like, yeah, I am. And he was like, and you know biology, eh? I'm like, yeah, kind of. And he was like, want to do some modeling for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. What's that? <laughs> and then he just had this like, I was just walking around with him through his lab and he like was talking for two hours about um, observations that are made and like conversations that are having around the space and all the different like Maori, um academics and scientists that were involved in the space and he was just like really passionate I was like yeah cool mm. how do I start and then he was just like go to the library look up Maramataka look at like YouTube videos look at something and then yeah so I did that and looked into it and I was just finishing off my graduate diploma at the time and it was just like um, he just said uh, I don't know who would be the best supervisor for the math side of things but he said, um, maybe ask her or just find out who teaches mathematical biology in your department. So found out we had a professor of mathematical biology who literally wrote the textbook, Mathematical Biology. Wow. Oh, Mathematical Physiology, but still the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just like had a stalk of him on the university website and he had some like publications and I had a quick read of mm-hmm. the abstracts of some of those and just like sent him an email like, I read your publication on this. I had a meeting with... Um, Mike Walker and we're wanting to sort out supervision for this thing kind of like laid it out and he had a meeting half an hour into it and be like yeah sure I know Mike that sounds interesting let's do it. Wow so for those of you who don't know can you just explain like what the graduate diploma was and yeah yeah. so graduate diploma is if you've already done that undergraduate degree you can do a one-year program that adds like a second major so because Mm -hmm. I had a major in biomedical science doing a graduate diploma was adding a major of um, applied mathematics okay. to that. Yeah. And so that um, that formed the basis of your project yeah. that you were doing with your supervisor that wrote the applied yep. mathematics book. Yeah. Mm. So then, so then uh, got into the honours program for applied mathematics and started doing some papers and then working through this dissertation. And the science side of things was like quite... Um, naked to be honest when it was talking about naked like there wasn't much to it okay (laughs) and it was like really um really early in its um deciding on what's what and then trying to like get my head around this was just like um took me 
a very long time. So like the first time my supervisor handed me a paper and it's like, read this. And this will be like the basis of your entire model. And it's like, oh, okay. And I read it while I was on holiday in February and it just made no sense. Oh my gosh. And then I just like highlighted a whole bunch of words and it's just like, what the heck is this gibberish? But then three months later reading it again, it's like, oh, it's slowly starting to make sense. And then like six months later reading it, it's just like, oh, I get what's happening now. Wow. Yeah. So like that was a really interesting um, jump into that area of just like, what the heck is this? Mm. And then like, I have no idea what's going on. What are these equations? And then having to like learn those over the year where you're supposed to be pretending to be an expert in this area and writing up about it. So when you come into that area with very little knowledge. Mm. So how did you kind of go through that, working through the notes and the equations? Did you go and do your own research and read about them yourself? Or, yeah. yeah. Um, YouTube is my friend, especially when you're doing uh, maths. It's got like, yeah. it's got videos on how to do it all the way up to like a postgraduate level. And like really just like 10 minute bite sized snips. Mm. So like when you forget how to do that thing that you learn in year 12, you just watch that video. It's like, oh yes, I remember. <laughs> and if it's like really simple, you just put the speed up to times two. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, but just, yeah, doing that was how I always started. I was like, what the heck is this? Chuck it into like Khan Academy or just YouTube. Yeah. Watch a quick video and then reread it. It's like, oh, okay, let's slowly make more sense. The internet's actually really amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... Why didn't we have that when I was um, studying? And then you have a look, and the start date was like back when you were in high school. And it's like, oh, we did have that when I was studying. Exactly. Yeah. True. So now that you've got a basis of an understanding of your project, mm. yeah. So where are you going now with it? Well, it's really interesting because that was like a very probably just a basic understanding of the applied mathematics side of it, and the. Um, and the biological, like chronobiology, like biological clocks, how okay. our bodies predict um, changes in the environment. So it's kind of an understanding of that. But what I still couldn't find anywhere in the literature was uh, the Maori side of like our mm. understanding of that calendar. So like the word marama, uh, marama taka, like marama is the moon and taka means to turn or to fall. So then when we're talking about marama taka, it's all about those phases of the moon. So it's like what activities happen on this day and what happens on that day, which really strongly lined up with the project, which was like the, uh, a mathematical model for the molecular basis of monthly behaviour. Mm -hmm. So then doing that... So an equation to understand the phases of the moon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's... Um, but how the phases of the moon um, affect our, our bodies. Oh. Yeah. Right. So that was the whole basis of the project. And what I... I didn't end up, um, I put on, I put the studies on hold because I started working at mm. the university um, full time and what I started doing while I was kind of not doing the maths um, biology side of it was looking into the Mātauranga Māori side of mm. it and there's this beautiful book called Living by the Moon, uh, Living by the Moon which was um, this co -martyrs, um master's thesis mm. and it was just from Te Whanaupanu down on the east coast and it had a write-up about each of the different 30 phases of the moon wow. and what, what's happening in the land, what's happening in the water, what the different animals, are, um, birds, trees, fish, um, shellfish, how they're all behaving and what are the different signs for that day. And it was, it was the more I learned, the more, uh, more I read about it, the more I was just like, what the heck? Like, that was just so huge and so specific to where you live. So like, they say there's like tribal variations, but it's like 
one, like one side of a hill versus the other side of the hill, the environment is different. So then the, the behavior of the animals in the environment is different. Wow. So then over, the, over just Aotearoa, we've got more than 500 different maramataka, different calendars, different variations, different signs and all that um, with them. So like deep dived into that. And when... That's quite interesting because yeah. I feel like that's very rare in academia to see something like that. Yeah, I think in Western models, like the more general and the more applicable to lots of different areas your stuff is, the, the more people want to have a look at it. Mm. So then when you're looking at like indigenous knowledge, it's like specific to this little valley, like it doesn't have as much weight in academia, but in like our Māori circles, this is just like, oh my gosh, look at the, how unique this is to mm. that, and like the stories and like the like the the legends associated to why things are like that, and like all that kind of specificity to one little region is like what that that, uni- that uniqueness is what makes it really interesting, mm. as opposed to like let's kind of like make everything the same across the entire country and get rid of the uniqueness so yep. that everyone can use it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was really just still slowly getting my head around it because that, that when you talk to old people and you're like, uh, what's the technical, like what's the meaning of the word maramataka? Mm-hmm. They say like when they were younger, it wasn't just the moon. Mm-hmm. Like maramataka was their word for everything related to time. Wow. So like the seasons, the... Um, the variations of the day, the variations of the year, um, those longer than a year cycles, all of that was related to our understanding of marmataka. Um, the seasonal movements of animals, of flowering of trees, um, when to plant kumara, uh, the movement of the stars, all of that was related to how we would tell time. Wow. So then still slowly getting my head around that, but it's been really, really fun because living in Auckland, how you need to do this is pretty much like know when to expect things, but then actually go have a look at when it's happening. So actually get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been really fun, just like working out what trees are native and what aren't, so that you can use them with the matauranga Māori. So like one thing that's happening right now is the tikoka, the cabbage tree, is flowering. Okay. But it's flowering like massive as like it's never like I haven't seen it before. And it's flowering really, really early. So according to like the maramataka, that's a sign that we're going to have a long summer. Wow. Yeah, because it should be flowering, in my head anyways, next month. And the same thing with pahutakawa, like it's usually around November, December when that starts flowering. But they've started flowering, at least in the North Shore around different places, the coastal mm. ones. And the way they're flowering is really specific too, because they either like flower from the top down or the bottom up, which is kind of a dry or a wet season. But this one, they're flowering like all over the place, and like if they flower all over the place and then drop really quickly, that's a sign that we're going to have a long hot summer again. Wow! So you figured that out because you actually went up, you read um, some Mataranga Māori and understanding the indigenous science behind it, and then mm. going out into yeah. out into the field, or did you already know that when you're growing up? When you're uh, growing up? No, well we have we have like little tidbits in songs and you don't really understand what they mean like mm. when we think about um like there's a motete up north it's like pipi whaurauro kawiko wea um kārere o mahuru and that's like pipi whaurauro is the shining cuckoo and the koe koea is the um long tail uh yeah the long tail cuckoo 
and then mahuru is a word for September. But all of those words are like synonymous with like the the kind of rebirth and regrowth. Mm. So they're not actually singing about that time of the year. They're talking about as a metaphor for regrowth. So like even that's just like Mataranga Māori that you should expect these two birds to come back in Mahuru, which is a sign where life returns to the environment. Oh. Yeah. So that was fun when it was September because September-ish is when Mahuru is. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Mahuru in my understanding anyways, ma means white and huru means hair. Mm-hmm. So like if you look around the trees around September, that's when all the new growth pops up. So like all those kind of like white edges on the puhutakawa start to turn up because the the sprouts are starting to spring out and getting ready for the flowers, getting ready for summer. I see. Yeah. So just like random little And that was all like from that. a song. Yeah, yeah. All from a song. So then did things like look up what a pipi furoto song sounds like did like every now and then go for a walk in the bush see if I can hear it um knew a friend who's like super into birds and just like every now and then just messages you heard it yet and like no I haven't heard it yet either and it was just like and then it was um and then like looked into like the flight time and it's like they're usually back by now and it's like yeah they're usually back by um September but last year there was a fire in the Solomon Islands and it like slowed them back uh, slowed them down by a month so then it was interesting because there wasn't a fire in the Solomon Islands this year, but they're still coming back at the same time they came last year, which is different to when we expected them. True. So it's just, yeah, so it's just like a whole bunch of like, it's really interesting learning how connected Aotearoa and our Mātauranga Māori is to like events around the rest of the world, like a fire in the middle of the Pacific Ocean influence what we would use to tell time. Right. And yeah. that, that one-off kind of change stayed there for the following year which is just crazy mm. the same and they've got similar stories to like um up north they have this place where um where whales constantly beach themselves because yeah. there's this sandbar that never used to be there but it popped up but that's like their traditional um, migration route so they continue to migrate over there even though this um sandbar popped up like 50 years ago wow. yeah yeah so it's it's when you know this um, indigenous knowledge, it's really, it's really kind of explains the behavior of everything around you. And so how does that um, kind of relate when you come into the university mm. setting in the Western science? How do you um, work with the indigenous in the Western science? Yeah, that's yeah. a very um, tricky thing, but luckily, We've jumped in at a time where uh, the government put in um, Vision Matauranga, which is a policy around like extra funding and extra resources for looking at things, working with and for um, Māori communities, and also if you can extend that to um, Pacifica communities due to like the nature of the similarities between the two. Mm-hmm. There's just been a very strong push within the science faculty for. Um, for more indigenous knowledge to lead the way in Western science, because mm-hmm. when you look at like issues like climate change, like the the birds migrating at a different time or coming earlier or um, not being able to feed or the tikoka flowering earlier, like we had earlier this year, we had um, kereru starving, and that's because mm-hmm. we had we've got a long hot summer on the way, which meant middle berries they fruited really quickly and dropped, so. So they were ready earlier than the kiriru were ready, ready to eat them. 
and then there wasn't any food for them to eat when they were ready. Mm. So then they'd like be starving because middle is what they eat um, at the like end phases of winter. Mm. So like if you know all this indigenous knowledge, you don't have to look at like the um, the slow rise of the sea levels or the one degree increases of temperature because all these signs are saying that it's getting hotter and it's detrimental to the environment. Wow. So would you say that indigenous knowledge is going is really what we, where we need to look in terms of climate change? Yeah, so, so a lot of our um, a lot of our elders, their perspective, because they're being put on to consult in a whole bunch of um, different areas with climate change and um, environmental sustainability and biodiversity. Mm. Um, and what they're saying is that Mātauranga Māori and other indigenous knowledge systems are leading the way for science to follow behind us now. Wow. So that when we are strong in our um, strong in our indigenous knowledge and know how to implement it, um, we can teach these Western scientists how to do their Western science better. Wow. Yeah. That's quite powerful, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think, well, I went through just the New Zealand high school system and it was predominantly um, Western science. So yeah. to kind of come back round and see that our ancestors and their scientific understanding is really going to help um, answer the big questions. Yeah. It's really um, exciting, and it's like sigh of relief. It's like yeah, well, we, one we of know like, what we're doing. <laughs> one of the biggest myths we have to kind of um, bust is that uh, Maori and our Pacifica ancestors, like you don't travel like the Pacific Ocean without a really acute understanding mm. of how to navigate the movements of the currents, the winds, the stars. Um, how to like sustain your food for journeys that could be longer than a month. Mm. All these like complexities that are like scientists, like Western scientists when they came here didn't believe that we could do it because they had no idea how they could. Like going from a tropical climate like Rarotonga and Tahiti to New Zealand where it's definitely a lot colder. Mm -hmm. Way more land, way more fertile land, but the temperature, all their crops that they brought over, a lot of them couldn't survive here. So coming up with the agricultural science for all these different crops to survive in this colder environment, that's that's like that's like cutting edge science. That's like kind of the equivalent of someone taking a tree down to Antarctica and trying to get make it grow. Wow. You know? Gotcha. So then gotcha. so then what we need to stop thinking is that Maori and Pacifica students are bad at science because we've always been bad at science. It's that Māori and Pacifica students are not interested in science because they're teaching it in a way that doesn't doesn't make sense to us. Yeah. It isn't how we do science. Exactly. And so how does that um, kind of transition into what you're doing now with Te Whalapua uh, Yeah, so yeah. for Te Whalapua um what we work with is Māori and Pacific students around the university on um, academic skills, so how to learn, uh, read and write um, in the university yeah, setting. Yeah, in the university setting to get the better, uh, to get the best grades you can. Mm. And a lot of what we do, especially with postgrads, is just um, letting them know that what you're interested in, you can do. So like, mm. um, people are like, oh, we're doing this research project and the supervisor wants us to look into this thing. But it's like, oh, but aren't you interested in this? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, uh, haven't you read that? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, why don't you go into that instead? Mm. So like, Instead of leaning on this like um, news clipping kind of 
um, view of history, why don't you go into the oral literature or the oral traditions that your grandparents shared with you that got you interested in the theory wow. in the first place? So you're validating the indigenous knowledge for their work, um, for their research? Yeah, it's encouraging okay. people to do things that they like doing in mm. ways that they want to do it as opposed to following other people's ideas of what they think they should be doing. Mm -hmm. The same with um, the same with when you're doing essays at the university, you've kind of got a little bit of leeway, so you can kind of angle it towards um, Māori and Pacifica perspectives of this issue or how that's affecting them or why that's affecting them, mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of like looking at things from this, like how Western uh, universities want you to look at things as like disconnected from what you're looking at. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, so floating up here, how has this thing influenced this other thing you're looking at? Mm -hmm. As opposed to like us knowing that we're in it and like how is this connect, uh, affecting us in our communities and why is that interesting and why is that important? Right. So um, I'm kind of thinking like why, why did you transition to, to work here mm. from, from your from your project to working with helping Modern Pacifica students? Um, well, I guess I was working in like the maths department and um, those papers and working in that field was a bit, um, you know, the usual being the only Maori person into a class and trying to like push through um, all their expectations and kind of like all their, um, all their just kind of like non-Māori ways of doing things and trying to just yeah. kind of keep barging through on yeah. that path. And um, I'd worked in Te Whaipaiwhana part-time and it was just kind of like this w this way of exploring, uh, especially with postgrads, like having critical conversations around like mātauranga Māori or like mm. different perspectives or um, Māori ways of looking at things, doing things, knowing things and just being a part of all those different conversations and the work that you can do and the work that you can do in those spaces so as part of working for Tevada Paiwhana I've kind of I've managed to go overseas for three weeks talking about um, uh, indigenous knowledge and how that can improve like our science education wow um, yeah randomly uh, we went down to Hamilton talking around marmataka and how um, storytelling as a basis for teaching scientific concepts makes them more accessible to um, people who are pretty much like almost anti-science you know like wow. don't like when you say the word science people like shiver like oh don't talk to me yeah. about science <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely yeah so it's just I think being able to use the skills and knowledge that I have around science to work with other students going through those same struggles that I had and navigating them in such a way that you um, enjoy what you're doing but also use what you're doing to advance um, Māori thought and Māori knowledge is mm. just really fun but yeah it's so, there's a lot of conversations that happen though where it's similar situations to me where they come in with a plan in mind and plan A doesn't go according to plan and it's like but they found out this thing B that they're super in love with and just like having the conversation that you know moving into thing B isn't isn't a failure like if you're the best at thing B like uh, around and you're super into it and you really enjoy it like there's so many jobs out there that you don't even understand what they do while you're in high school exactly so yep. then like coming in because like that was one of the conversations that always popped up when I was into maths and I was like 
what are you going to do with the maths degree? And yeah. said, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm 14. What do you want from exactly, me? Exactly, yeah. And I was like, I don't even understand what maths will be at university. Exactly. But then when you, like, when you get out of your degree and other people around you who are Māori and Pacifica get out of, their group, out of their degree and you just see all the amazing places that these things that you think go nowhere can take you, like mm. going over to Canada just recently, going up to... Um, like work with high schools in Fatififi up north, um, dropping by doing school visits in um, Pangaru, Matihitihi, a couple in Auckland, um, on the North Shore, just working with Māori Pacific uh, Pacifica students, talking about interesting things, showing pretty pictures and just telling stories and saying yeah. that this is what science is, it's just kind of something that you don't know about when you're 14. And so do the schools approach you to come and visit them? Yeah, yeah. so um, uh, usually starts off by one person told another person they should mm. go to a thing. Uh, they send me a message and then I go along and then, yeah, stay. Wow. <laughs> so, like, um, at the Noho Tile up north, um, it was just a uh, come for an hour. I met the lady at a Wananga um, December before, and this was in, must be maybe June. And then my session was, like, at 8 o'clock at night on this Wananga with um, high school kids and then I was just like talking about my stuff and like some of the students were falling asleep because it was 8 o'clock and yeah, they had a long day yeah. and they, they spent the morning kayaking but, <laughs> then, but then some uh, it was weird because the teachers were like the most into it they are like sitting forward and like scooting forward and like asking questions Wow! and they were just like kind of like waking up the student next to them like pay attention this is really good stuff <laughs> so then it ended up extending from an hour conversation to two and a half hours that day uh, just because of all the questions and conversations that happened. Then we went outside for two hours, talk about the stars, and then it turned out they were doing like a celestial navigation um, section for um, their project in, at high school. So then we, I talked again for two and a half hours with a stronger focus on celestial navigation. Then we went outside for two hours again. So that was like about 10 hours of talking over two oh. days with students and then a teacher asked me to go to their school because some of the students at the Noho um, didn't go to the Noho who were doing it so I went to their school and did a talk and then went to a primary school and showed some pretty pictures and had a conversation with a kurakaupapa and then it just kind of like bounces around from word of mouth from there because being one thing is being good at science and Māori is very rare mm -hmm. and when when like high schools and like students of rural areas find out about that, they want you to just come and show like, look, did, wow. <laughs> he did, you do, kind of thing. And the other thing is, um, when you're well versed in your um, like your Maori and Pacifica identity, like connecting to those students, like uh, they had other scientists from all different areas um, having conversations with them as well, but having a conversation from a place where you know what was interesting to you, so you know what would be interesting to them. Exactly. It's just, it makes a world of difference. And then, yeah, so then just kind of having conversations with people, jumping on different kaupapa, going to different places. So like one thing I've got tomorrow morning at 3am is a guest lecture for Navajo Tech University. Mm. And then next um, month I've got one with um, Western University Ontario for the Indigenous Astronomy course. Whoa. And it's just like, things that were just stories to us, but how you relate them to scientific knowledge or like um, observations or just show people how you got interested in things and what you think is interesting 
really connects to them because mm. like all around the world indigenous communities are doing the same thing so what i'm hearing from you is that from our new zealand schools that kids actually like science yeah but we are teaching them um <laughs> the wrong type of science at the moment because it's not relatable to them they can't yeah. understand it well yeah um they can't see it you know go outside and look at the stars well like we've got this really good um astronomy section in like multiple years of high school but it's never taught because the teachers don't understand it and the really? teachers, yeah and the teachers I don't understand it because it wasn't taught to them in a way that was understandable wow. either but like instead of um going in and being like these are planets this is star mm. these are right ascension mm. declination and all these fancy words like i sneak those fancy words in but after i like after you catch the interest on like here's the story here's what how our tupuna used the story to understand this thing and this thing and like this creation story actually is written in the stars and like this story is written in the stars and here's what you can get from it wow. like doing that kind of just like oh oh and then the the thing you always have to end with is like you see that star over there this is the star, like the night sky tonight and here's where it'll be so when you go home find out where the sun set and it should be there <gasps> and you'll be like surprised how many people do it yeah yeah like, oh, we go outside and we just look now yeah. and then you get a message on Facebook and say like, I found it <laughs> or like I couldn't see it <laughs> can you That's show me, me again <laughs> That's me so for people who are thinking about getting into science mm. um, what's some advice that um, could help them navigate into the science. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that helped me the most was um, just being interested. Like, one thing that I often did, which kind of didn't get me the best grades, but got me super interested in science, was when we had a reading in a textbook or something to look up, and there was like a recommended video next to it, or there was like a section before that seemed really interesting or had a pretty picture, I'd read that too. Kind of, I'd read that more than what I was supposed to be reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, watch this video and then be like, oh, hey, did you learn about blah, 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 blah. I was like, we're supposed to watch a video on this. And like, yeah, I watched that too, but this was yeah. interesting. <laughs> True. So naturally being curious and just, yeah, yeah. just seeing what you're passionate about and kind of, kind of exploring that area. Yeah. yeah. It's and not being afraid to kind of think, oh, the teacher told me to do this and I'm just going to look at that. Yeah, I think... I think one of the things you get stuck in with science is studying for the exam. Mm. But the exams are boring and what they want you to know for the exams are boring. But if you like chase your interests, like like instead of, that was one of the things I did with physics was just like ended up learning about all these like really complex things because I got down a Wikipedia hole where it's just kind of like looking wow. at, um, it started off just looking at um, like special relativity for year 13. And it was talking about general relativity, and then it was talking about like um, the fundamental particles, and then like an argument about gravitons, and then it went to like the standard model of all the particles that make up the world, and it was just like really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand most of it, but it was just like, oh, well, this is cool, well, this is cool. And then I went and had a chat to old Mr. Kuma about like, so Mr. Kuma, what is antimatter? <laughs> it was like, like <laughs> it was like, if you finish your work about, I think it was something simple as like. Newtonian mechanics, like half mv squared. Once you finish that, you can have a conversation with me. So I just burned through that. It's like, so I was reading yesterday and it was talking about antimatter. And if we get a particle of antimatter and collide it with a particle of matter, it would blow up half the world. Is this true? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Then he like went into the physics of it and like did a calculation of how much energy was actually 
released in a particle of antimatter using like E equals MC squared. I was like, is that how you use that? I was like, yes. And it continued going. It's like, so if you had one particle of antimatter and collided it with a particle of matter, um, assuming that that particle is an electron, it would release this much energy and you wouldn't notice. And it's like, so how many electrons would I need to notice? <laughs> oh my gosh. But you know, like, just that, like, just not focusing, like, doing your work, but also just focusing on in this work, what's interesting and what do I want to know more about? I think that's so important because we forget that um, during high school and I know going to university from experience, we forget that our passions are really going to drive us to mm. to be happy and to be successful in whatever we're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And tricking yourself, like, because like sometimes like it's just the most boring subject and the most boring world taught by the most boring teacher. But like every time you start getting bored, it's like, okay, what's interesting about this? Mm. Like, what's interesting about the Russian Revolution? You know? <laughs> like instead of just like trying to memorize these random bits of information, it's just like, what do I actually like about this? What am I actually finding interesting? What do I actually want to know no more about? True, true. Because there's always going to be a subject that you just don't like, even when you're following like your favorite subject all the way to university. Exactly. So for anyone who wants to know more about your work or where they can ask you more questions, is there somewhere they can um, message you or... Yeah, sure. Yeah. If you just want to hit me up with my email, although young people don't use email, <laughs> or you could just search Dakota Type Painting on Facebook and just like send me a message about Maramataka and I'll just... Cool. It'll be hard to shut me up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think there'll be lots of questions and a lot of interest around your work because from how I see it, you guys are really leading the indigenous science, especially mm. um, validating it and going back into the schools. Yeah. And um, you have such, I, I know, I've known Kahu for a while and I've always seen him as like the, the smart guy. So I always know he's, he's on the ball and you've had um, like a range of experiences at university, which I think mm. is really valuable because people think, oh, I just go to university and do my degree. But no, you're really driven by what you're passionate about and not scared to kind of deviate from being a doctor or being <laughs> the noble, um, a noble career. So thank you. Thank you so okay. much. Is there any last things that you want to say? Um, mention? I guess the last thing to say was like, when you're looking at um, science or when you're looking at indigenous knowledge either, like um, it's really easy to just actually, when you find something that's interesting, go have a look to see if it's true. Mm. Or like when they point out something to look at, like Google some random things and have a look if it's the same. So if you're like looking at um, stars, have a look to see if you can find them or what they look like from here. If you're looking at trees, like actually have a look at what the tree is. Like one of the things that um, this dude from up north showed me was just like, broke a bit of kanuka up and like rubbed it in his fingers and like smell this. Mm. When he went up at um, the Kaiwi Lakes and then when we got back to the Marae, he did the same thing. He was like, smell that. It's like, do you smell the difference? Like that fresh wow. water, um, that fresh water being there like really um, brings out this kind of like rosemary smell to it. Whereas like being down there, like it's more concentrated and it has a more kind of tea tree oil smell. And it's just like, you mean you should just go around smelling trees? <laughs> And just like so just like using your eyes using your nose and using your sense of touch when learning about things just like that's how we learn that's how we did things and doing that now is just really fun i love that so go out and smell some trees and some leaves <laughs> and some flowers go have a look at tikoka cool
Cool, thank you, Kahu. Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs>